But, you know, DJing was of no interest to me because you became kind of a clock jock is what they were called, which basically meant you'd say, you know, 304 London, we're going to play some collective soul. And that's it. That's your job. And it's like 357 London's best rock. Here comes a little bit of winger. (laughs) And then you play a fart noise and a sound effect. And then you do a line of Coke and you wait for 20 minutes and you're back on the air. So it's just, this is a dumb business. I don't want to be in this. Welcome back to Podcast Junkies, a.k.a. the podcaster's voice, a.k.a. the show where we search out interesting voices in podcasting and get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and, quite honestly, whatever else is on their mind. This is episode 44, and we're talking to Corey Coates. Corey is the founder of Podfly, a podcast production service, but for podcast junkies like myself, he's also known as the co-host and co-creator of The Podcast Producers. This was a 10-part podcast series that came out, uh, I think now a couple of months ago, and what's interesting about it is that Corey and Jessica released the entire season as one uh, lump sum episodes list altogether. So everything at one time, and it's the Netflix format, if you're familiar with that, and you get to binge listen to all the episodes at once, which I promptly did and lost about a day and a half of words of productivity, but it was fine. It was well worth it. And they ended up interviewing, I think it was close to 20 to 30 podcasters. And so there's snippets of all their voices uh, within the 10 episodes, and they broke it out into 10 topics. And it was just a fascinating take on the state of podcasting now. And with a production background in radio, It's no surprise that the episode sounded great. There was custom music, there was intros and outros and lead-ins to the stories. It it just really, really sounded like like an episode of NPR times 10, which is cool. So I really liked it and the podcasting community fell in love with it. And we get to talk about that and we get to talk about the fact that there is a season two on the way. And Corey is just one of those guys that I love chatting to because he's a free spirit and just says whatever the hell is on his mind. And so <laughs> probably an explicit warning needs to be slapped on here and there. We cover some of the, the common radio terms that people in the industry know, but that people in podcasting seem to butcher time in and time out. So I'm glad this is actually the first episode where we get to review what those are and define them so that going forward, people can't say they don't, they don't know what a, what a stab, a, a liner, a bumper is, etc. So uh, we talk about our, our love of the NPR format and, and why that quality and that level of quality, it's important that it's been being brought into the podcasting realm. And one, one of the things that he said that was r- really important is that you can't fake audio quality and... You can't fake your talent. And I, and I thought that those were really, really fa- fantastic takeaways and it's something that we all need to keep in mind as podcasters and as listeners and lovers of podcasts, you know, you're all holding us up to, to a higher standard. So again, these, these go long and it's only because we just enjoy talking to each other. So enjoy my conversation with Corey. So Corey Coates, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Yeah, man, this is like, uh, this is kind of overdue, right? This is long overdue. I think I think you promised I could be on your show, I don't know, five, six months ago, and then uh, every time I email you, you just avoid me. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, I got Mark Marin coming through, and I had a bump. <laughs> yeah, Obama stopped through, and you're like, I got bumped. 
So your thoughts on the, on the Obama, Mark Marin as a seminal moment in podcasting? I, I don't know. I don't want to make a big deal of it. Um, but I think it is good because, again, anything that, that raises sort of public awareness of the medium, I think is important. Anything that uh, more mainstream people know that podcasting is legit and kind of here to stay, I think is, is critical. So I think that helps a, a lot. And gosh, when you consider that they hit close to a million downloads of that episode in a day, um, I think that really shows how wide the market truly is. I think it was crazy because Libsyn, I think post, I think I saw it in Facebook or Instagram, one of those places. They actually posted the stats and it broke the record for most downloaded episode, I think it was. Yeah, something like 725,000 downloads. Now, like as podcasters, we know that that doesn't mean that there were 725,000 people went into their iTunes app, <laughs> right, and, and subscribed to Mark's podcast. It was that... You know, a lot of people we hit the link, went to the site, press play on the player. That's really what it means. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think overall it's good because when you think about it getting into the mainstream, I don't know if you're a fan of the show as well on IFC, Marin. No, you know what? Honestly, I, I've never listened to a show. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you see that the podcast uh, environment and, and the podcast show is almost like another character on the on the TV show, and it's just interesting because he's in his garage and he's podcast, right? And he's got the same. I think he's got the same mic you've got right now. Yeah, yeah, he's on the seven B, right? So it's fun. To, it's fun to watch on like on on, on TV that someone's podcasting. Um, yeah, that's the cool thing. Is I went to um, I followed the link to the pictures of it, right? And that was really the cool part where you realize that he's just like anybody else. I mean, he's a dude unshaven in his messy garage, you know, with a mixer in the corner and a bunch of stuff all over his desk. And on the other side of the table is the, uh, the leader of the free world, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of trippy to see that. Um, but you know what, Harry, it's funny. If you go into a lot of established radio studios, it looks a lot like that too. These things are disasters. So you, your background is uh, radio as well, right? Yeah. You know, I did a lot of audio editing, right? So I was a musician professionally for years and uh, once I got kind of off the road and I was sick of, you know, living in a van and living in hotel rooms and just not making any money and uh, getting STD tests every other week. And <laughs> there was a point where it's like, I got to get behind the desk in some fashion. So for me, it was the recording desk. And uh, at that time, there was really good cash in doing audio engineering for radio stations, a lot of post-production, a lot of commercial radio production um, so I got pretty heavy into that industry. And, uh, and it was great because you could work in your pajamas and you could drink tea uh, and you could work overnight and you could submit stuff to radio stations and make some pretty good bank. So that was kind of my background. So did you work at a bunch of different radio stations or was there one where you spent most of your time? No, I worked for an independent production house, right? So these guys uh, had a lot of radio stations as their clients. Um, I did a lot of work with a company that's still going right now and in Canada. It's called Overnight Radio. So basically they would do overnight radio commercials and spots uh, and specials and things for radio stations. So they would send us the work and we would go ahead and do it. So it's interesting because this is back in, gosh, like 2008, 2006, back when, you know, VAs and virtual companies and stuff didn't exist. So these guys were real pioneers in the space and was actually a super inspiration for some of the stuff I'm doing today. Is there, do you have memorable moments from your time doing the audio production in, in radio or, or memorable uh, shows that you edited? Maybe not so much because it's funny. 
like a lot of traditional radio, we did a lot of FM radio commercials as well. Uh, some of them I would voice, some of them I'd get all the, the imaging and stabs and stingers and stuff. And, uh, there's like a, an episode of Family Guy <laughs> where you see Stewie and Brian are at like a fair and there's a booth there and it's one of the local radio stations and it has all of the absurd stingers and stabs and sound effects and, and all the things, right? And the fart noises and stuff. Yeah, that kind of over-the-top crap that you hear on FM radio. But um, producing that stuff was hilarious because you're always going to, how close to the edge can I get without being like satirical and without being mocking radio? And the closer to the edge you would get, the more the stations love the work. They're like, this is just killer stuff. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And it just, it got so silly. Um, and I did a little bit of work in FM radio as well. Um, but, you know, DJing was of no interest to me because you became kind of a clock jock is what they were called, which basically meant you'd say, you know, 304 London, we're going to play some collective soul. And that's it. That's your job. And it's like 357 London's best rock. Here comes a little bit of winger. <laughs> it's like, and then you play a fart noise and a sound effect. And then you do a line of Coke and you wait for 20 minutes and you're back on the air. So it's just, this is a dumb business. I don't want to be in this. I think you just created the, uh, the intro for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> So you, I mean, are you saying that they don't take themselves too seriously, or they, or they know what they do is just so monotonous they have to have some fun with it? I think that's part of it is that they recognize how absurd it is, and now you know they're doing what's called live to tape. Um, so radio stations are less and less allowing DJs to actually be on live radio. They're just recording those things, right? They're recording setups for tunes. They're recording the time, and they're being put into an automation deck. In many cases now, if you go into an FM or AM radio station, the only guy in there is the IT guy and maybe an engineer. Everybody is at home. They're pre-recording. They're using ISDN lines to send it into the station. They're basically sent scripts. They record them. They put them in. And then your face is on the side of a bus. So it's, the whole thing's kind of a joke, honestly. So what do you see as the future? I mean, a lot of people like to prognosticate about where it's headed, that you know, AM and FM is, is dying, slow death. Um, you know, no one's listening to satellite radio. So having worked in the business, you have any thoughts about where, where we're headed? I don't know. Um, it's the car. The car is going to continue to be the future of radio if they, if they evolve in that space. Um, but again, the ubiquity now of our mobile devices, our ability to Bluetooth connect them quickly to the, to the car, uh, means that the media that we want to consume when we want to consume it is, you know, super portable. And transferable across platforms. So for me, like for example, you know, I, I like my uh, I like my Spotify. I love my podcasts. I love my audiobooks. And because of my Apple TV and my iPhone and my iPad, or even in getting in a rental car right now, all I do is I just continue to play whatever it is I'm normally playing in my life. The last thing that I'm doing, man, is getting into a car and surfing the dial to find what's happening on the radio. I mean, honestly, who gives a shit <laughs> really what the next top 40 tune is? Yeah, it's a joke because I do the same thing. I've been traveling a lot recently. And like you said, the first thing I look for is the USB connector. So yeah. can, <laughs> you know, if at worst case scenario, I'd have to, uh, connect my headphones. I guess that's hashtag first world problems. What? No right. USB in my rental so I can <laughs> connect my, my, uh, iPhone so I don't have to listen yeah. to the radio. I mean, there was, there's never any, even if it didn't, if it didn't have it, obviously I'd just connect my, my headset and just listen that way. 
Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. I mean, we're talking about different segments of radio. For example, if we're looking at at the NPR genre, where there's storytelling, there's narrative, um, there's there's good information being brought forward. I think a lot of AM radio still has a great market, no question about it. And I love, especially like in Canada, we don't have NPR, we have the CBC, which is very similar. Um, but when I go to the States and I get in a car, I, I actually really enjoy dialing into NPR and listening to it. I think it's soothing, it's informative, it's interesting. Um, it's close mic. They're all on seven B's. <laughs> so I kind of dig the tech of it. But, you know, I think that there's always a future for that. But those companies that are embracing, you know, the podcasting technology and the other means of distribution and not caring so much about how people are getting the content, but that they're getting the content. Um, those are the ones that will survive the, the folks, for example, you know, who are running things like clear channel and are just taking everything and boiling it down to what is likely to be the most listened to stuff while you're holding a purse at Forever 21 and your girlfriend's in the change room, you know, there's no future in that. That's a mess. It seems like all those algorithms and and those ways of measuring audiences and trying to predict what folks want to listen to is using some formula that's probably... 30, 40 years old. Yeah. You know, I had a great conversation with uh, Tom Webster over at Edison Research. And this is what these guys do. I mean, they, they put together the stats and they know what they're doing. No question about it. But at the same time, everyone in radio will tell you the listenership is still a best guess. Okay. It's based on some survey information, some fair data extrapolation, and a bunch of statistic stuff that I don't understand. But I can tell you this, that I know like when we would go on air and they'd say, we have, you know, 50,000 people listening. Mm, maybe, but you know what? The four-year-old kid in the car seat, I don't, I don't count him as my listener. Uh, or, you know, Kathy, who's in the office um, waiting for four o'clock, and the thing is just kind of playing way in the background. I don't consider her my audience either. So when we're talking about listener, I think we have to consider engagement. And, and radio has always struggled with finding what we consider true engagement. And that's, that's where podcasting really crosses the threshold because a listener obviously is choosing to consume this. I'm going and fetching it and pointing it into my life and paying attention to it, you know. So that's a huge, huge difference. Radio is still very much a passive experience for most people. Yeah, and I think obviously there's going to be a technology solution waiting uh, for those people that say what's what's important as far as the next steps is that two-way communication where you listen to an episode and then immediately upon listening or midstream you're saying wow i want to communicate this out right away or you know right now we can do some sharing and it sends people back to a, a website depending on which podcast player you're using but i think there's a lot of room for improvement there and i've, I've um i talked briefly to one of the guys who founded a company called roar i don't know if you've heard of them r-a-u-r no it's a new company, and they're trying to do something where it's sort of like a hybrid between Clamor um, and a podcatcher, but you can midstream uh, share the contents of a podcast episode. So I talked to him. I gave him some suggestions. Um, maybe I'll send them your way as well. But I think sure. I think that's sort of like a, the holy grail because like we're we're big in, in terms of sharing stuff in the moment right because if we say okay later on when i get home or you know we send ourselves a reminder you know for a lot of episodes or, or things that are so impactful for me i actually write it down and send myself an email and i want to give credit to the the uh the host i want to give credit to the guest and then mm-hmm. the point that they made because sometimes it's so powerful i just really really want everyone to know 
where it came from, you know, proper link to the episode and all that. So, of course, but I'm yeah. going out of my way to do that. Uh, so if we don't make it easier, um, I think we're losing an opportunity there. I think I think that's one huge component, um, kind of because we're such a social creature now because of the social networks and the way they've made us think about media. Um, but, you know, on the plus side of radio, and this is one of the biggest lacks, I think, that we see in, in podcast media and, and what we consider maybe amateur radio, is that these guys have solved a lot of problems very, very early on and that podcasters, for some reason, are trying to refix um, and you just can't fake a couple of the things that radio's done really well. And that is one, audio quality, right? It's huge. Now, fortunately, podcasters are starting to up their game because good equipment's getting cheap. Um, and also they're starting to understand the craft a little bit more because the more NPRs there are in iTunes, the more people want to sound like them. That's really good. But the other thing that you can't fake is talent. I mean, if you suck as a host, you suck. No mic is going to make you interesting or compelling or a talented interviewer. Um, so that's kind of critical is that I think a lot of people have to step back and go, uh, we got to give respect to the radio in that these guys are trained broadcast professionals who have devoted a lot of time to make it sound as easy as they do. And podcasters, we know it when we start doing our first couple shows, we flip on the mic and we think this is probably easy. I'm just having a conversation and you listen back and it's like, this is horrible. <laughs> like this drags, this isn't interesting. Uh, we have seven listeners now and then we pod fade and then that's kind of it. You know, radio, it's an all in game and they don't put anybody on the air unless it's going to be good. And if they're not good, they're trained. You know, they're, we make sure that they get good. Yeah, it's interesting because as podcasters, we tend to pay attention to the folks who are doing it right and who we admire you know, folks like Terry Gross, we listen to Mark Marin, Adam Carolla, whoever our favorite is, Joe Rogan, you know, people watch Charlie Rose, Larry King, just all, we're fascinated, you know, and, and, and a lot of those tend to skew towards the interview style. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a, like you said, to your point, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from folks that have been doing this, regardless of the medium, right? The, the interviewing skill is a skill, whether you're doing it in person, on a panel, on, on the radio or on TV, and it's something we need, we need to be paying attention to. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that has been taken out of the equation, which is good, is we don't sort of radiofy our voices as much as radio people did. Uh, we don't exaggerate our conversations to that degree. One of my favorite podcasts still today is um, Alec Baldwin's Here's the Thing. Love that guy, love his voice, love his guests, love his interview, love his feel. Um, but he's not trying to be on the radio while he's talking to his guests. You know, he's just having great, casual, friendly, awesome, engaging conversations. And podcasters, that's kind of the meat of what we're doing is we're keeping it super real and very relatable. So I think that there's kind of a balance that needs to be struck between the professionalism of broadcast radio and the casual side of podcasting that attracts the listener in the first place. Yeah, an important thing there for podcasters is that we don't have to unlearn the radio at least the broadcasting voice piece, because like you said, we don't know anything else but how to be casual in our conversations. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's yeah. going to be a need for a, a happy medium there. It's tough. I mean, I just started working. I'm producing a show right now and it's on, uh, it's being broadcast on AM stations in, in Chicago as well as being podcast. Um, so it's kind of a repurposed job and we do this for a couple of radio stations and it's tough, man, because I start working with these program directors and these operation directors and they send in their show clocks and we put in all the imaging and the stabs and the segments. And it's like, it's tough, man, because I got to write them back and go, you know, you have 40 liners 
in 30 minutes of material. Do you know how absurd that comes across to a listener? Uh, it's just, it's tough because those guys are still pretty much locked into their world. Um, they just don't see the value or, or don't, let me, let me put it this way. They don't seem to trust the listener when it comes to long form content. You know, they don't think that we have the attention span to listen to just a good conversation for an hour, but we do. Yeah. And I was thinking about this the other day because my show tends to run over an hour and I've thought long and hard about whether I want to rein it in, but I, I don't, I, I sort of associate it with a, just a real world conversation and I wouldn't interrupt mm-hmm. the conversation with a friend that was just getting good just because we're at some mark that, you know, supposedly we need to hit to keep the listener engaged. And I always go back to the Joe Rogan three hour podcast and um, I've been listening to the Wolf Den recently and those shows mm-hmm. typically go over an hour and it's just, I'm engaged and I'm going to keep listening. And if I get to where I'm getting to and I need to pause, I'll just pick it up later. Yeah. Well, you're invested in the personalities as well. You know, I listen to a couple shows there. My guilty pleasures are, I still listen to back to work, you know, with Dan Benjamin and Merlin Mann, um, for about 40 minutes, every show, they're not talking about anything. They either have a cold or they're talking about comic books or, you know, eventually maybe there's something that has something to do with productivity, but it's because I'm so invested in them as personalities that I enjoy having them in my life. Same idea. Like I listen to your show Um, I like putting it on my speakers while I'm doing some other things around my studio or in my apartment. And um, for me, the length of the show is irrelevant. It's it's over when it's over. And you're right. I can just hit pause if I've got something else to do. Well, I appreciate that. That that plug was not planned. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, um, what I wanted to cover is something uh, that has probably come up since the start of the show. And I've had folks who have been um, in radio for their previous careers who have been po- who, are, who are now podcasting and it's funny because there's references made to some of the terms that are used and now that you've mentioned a couple of them already i always want to make sure the the listener knows what we're talking about um, and i don't want to assume they know so you've mentioned stabs stingers and liners <laughs> and, and bumpers and, and imaging bumpers. okay so <laughs> let, let, let's once and for all for New podcasters, old podcasters, and folks who just continue to butcher these terms because <laughs> we don't know. Uh, give us the quick rundown on what each of these things mean uh, from oh, your man. experience. All right, yeah, uh, this is pretty Googleable, but you know, it's pretty easy. Podcasters it, don't Google; we just listen to other podcasts for our information. You know that. Okay, yeah, liners liners are a single line, right? Something that's going to go in between, and they're usually professionally voiced. So, for example, if you have two segments and you want to introduce the segment, it's kind of weird to introduce it yourself. You know, it's like, here's me doing this. <laughs> you know, you want to have a liner. So it's usually just a one line that's being read by whoever your voice actor is for the show. Usually you have a consistent voice actor. Uh, and in these liners, what they might do underneath it is something called imaging. And the imaging are all the sound effects that go with it, right? So it's like, shoo, 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 shoo. Now Harry's going to talk to Corey about blah. And then that's, so you have the liner over top of the imaging. When you've done all of that, what you created is a stab. And that basically stabs the listener and says, okay, now we're introducing this next part. Uh, a bumper is usually just some sort of music or transition that's being used in between parts to link them together. You know, so I just, I just completed a project with somebody. And they have a lot of different kind of disparate segments. And what we do is we use these sort of bumpers to get from one part to the other. So it's pretty straightforward stuff. But, you know, um, would, a bumper, would a bumper also break up uh, a long piece of content? If you've got, a, let's say you've got an interview going 
over an hour and you said, wait, I, I need to let the listener breathe for a second here. I've heard yep. some of these, uh, some, some, some podcasts do that. Yeah. Like, for example, I used to do a lot of live radio. I did some call-in radio, which I really love. And I actually miss the, the live call-in radio. It's pretty awesome stuff. And the bumper served as having this transitional music that would fade into the end of the segment. So, for example, I'd be on air and the producer would come on and give me an in-ear 60-second warning, right? By just saying 60 seconds, which meant that I have 60 seconds to wrap up this conversation to get to the break. The break is called a post, okay? So there's this post that you can't hit, right? So if you hit the post, the producer's going to let you know. If you go over the post, it's too bad. You, you sound like an idiot because you get cut off. So it was actually super challenging, and it made you a much, much better presenter, because you get that 60-second warning, you learned how to wrap up a conversation or a piece of a conversation, and the music would be fading up in your ear. And then you'd get the 30-second warning. If, you, if it's felt like for the producer, and I'd lo- I was on the producer end, I loved doing this, if it felt like in the 30-second span, this guy's going to hit the post, right? You'll give him the 15, the 10, the 5, and then from 5, you count down 4, 3, 2, right? So, and I would have these hosts that would leave you on the edge of your seat, that would actually mess with you to make you feel like I'm going to hit that post and I'm going to screw you on this segment. But man, they would get out like just a millisecond before and then the stab would come in and it'd be, holy crap, that sounded amazing. And there was just something about that feeling, that energy that just you can't duplicate in a podcast. You can't do it. Um, So for me, that was an exciting part of doing radio that uh, is really, really lacking in our space. Did you cover Stinger's? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So stingers again are these kind of sound effects, right? These lasers and these, all these weird stuff. And, and it's funny because we all ended up using pretty much the same sound effects on voices and the same echoes. And it was just, you have these templates that you said and that you use that are pretty well known in in the business, but it's funny because they sound really kind of cool once you get them going. And uh, I used to do a show uh, for about three years and I made quite good money at it. Actually, it was called this week in Costa Rica. And it was a live call-in radio show where we would do four 12-minute segments. Um, We had four phone lines in the studio. And, uh, you know, I had an 800 line plus one in Los Angeles, one in New York, and one in Chicago. And then I had a stack system phone line. uh, And people could call into the show. I could bring my guests in on on the phone. uh, And everything was segmented and produced. And you know what, man? It was just a trip. It was so much fun to know at 2 o'clock on Monday... I get on the air. We flip on the switch. The callers call in. It was just really, really amazing. And the reason why, we, again, we had it all segmented is because at 3 o'clock, the next show comes on. So I can't run long. You know, the next show is going to happen in the broadcast schedule. And I can't run long on my segments because there's paid advertisers that have bought those slots. And some of them are mine, right? <laughs> like, they're my spots. So if I, get that, if I get that spot or if I go over the post and I go short in that commercial, I ain't getting paid. So there, wasn't, there was an element to it that brought an energy to it that I thought was really fascinating. And we repurposed it as a podcast and it translated very well because people thought, oh man, this is a live radio show. I got to tune into this thing and I got to call in, um, which created by its very nature, a super engaged audience. I've heard some podcasts and recently uh, where they sort of mimic that approach. And so you'll hear them actually say, um, okay, we'll be back after this break. 
And uh-huh. it sounds weird because, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yes. Where are you going? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, can't you just hang around and keep talking? So it seems like sometimes some of that is a bit forced and, and maybe old habits die hard. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what are your thoughts on trying to apply that rigid format into podcasting? There, there was one thing that I liked about it. Um, you know, I used to have three ongoing podcasts that were very, very different, but super popular. And with each of those three shows, I had it exactly tight to the hour. It was one hour, period. And I got a lot of feedback from people saying they loved it because they knew exactly what they were invested in every single time they downloaded the show, even to a point where people loved it because, you know, their commute was, you know, X amount of minutes. They knew where they are in the, in the commute and in the podcast, and it was just super reliable. So I liked that constraint. Um, that's the other kind of cool thing about radio is that it creates these artificial constraints or real constraints on time that forces creativity. You know, you don't have the liberty of just going long and boring the listener. You've got to get it good and you've got to get it within the time frame. I think that there's power within that. But to fake that you're being constrained, you're right. That's kind of like I'm talking into a hairbrush in a cardboard box in my room pretending that I have a radio show, you know? Well, these are, you know, I, I I don't remember which one it was, but I know it was folks who have a history in, in, in radio. So I think you know, maybe it's just a function of old habits dying hard. And I understand it's interesting. And, and like, like I said, I guess it's still sort of a, a wild west where we're all trying to figure out. You know, so, Some people will tell you, keep it under 45 minutes. Some people will tell you, have strict format for your segments and make good use of the, uh, you know, the liners and, and the stabs and the bumpers and all that. So, yeah. um, and I think what's happening sometimes is um, what I've noticed is some of the NPR folks are literally just moving their content over to podcasting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not adding anything new. And granted, they sound amazing and the audio quality is through the roof, but it's, they're not, uh, I think someone in a, in a Facebook group recently asked who's innovating in podcasting. And someone mentioned like folks like Serial and, and, and Startup and, and someone countered, well, do they sound amazing? Yes. Are they innovating? No, because they're just doing the same thing they would have done on public radio. Right. But I mean, I mean to be fair, the quality of podcasting is iterative and it's, it's improving across the board. But I don't know what, I, and maybe this is why you know, no one's innovated. I don't know what could be innovative in the space because ultimately it's talk radio on the internet. So you know, to do a narrative form like Serial, you're right. I mean, that's just the good old-fashioned NPR storytelling that they've been doing for 50 years. I just don't know where the innovation could come in. It's no different, I think, Harry, than saying, uh, where are the big innovators in blogging? It's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, it's, it's people writing. <laughs> like, what, what can really, how could you really innovate the space? That's, I don't get that. So I get, yeah, there's best practices to a degree that people find effective. But I throw up in my mouth a little bit when I hear people go on Facebook groups and say, you've got to do this and this is the best way to do that. And this is what I've been doing that's successful. And um, it's like, OK, well, good for you. But I know some of the most popular podcasts out there do none of those things. And they have hundreds of thousands of listeners making tons of money and super loyal following. So I'm not sure where the two are reconciling each other. You know, I think there's a lot of guys who are coming in and saying they've got all the answers because um, they're kind of making them up, but they're saying it with an authoritative voice. Yeah, sort of the squeaky wheel getting the oil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had, uh, you know, I just recently got an email from somebody telling me that, um, for example, I did a show called the podcast producers and <laughs> the email was why I have to take the word the out of the title for iTunes SEO. And it's like, look, if you were the programmer of the search algorithm of iTunes and you're emailing me that suggestion, I'm down, man. It's like, thanks, dude. That's an awesome tip. But if you're just a dude on Facebook who's like, you know, all of a sudden has these marketing solutions and somehow knows the Apple secret sauce, you know, I'm really not interested. That's funny. That world of like online marketers and podcasters who are doing it, who've been doing it forever for just for the the love of podcasting. You know, there's there's a a lot of that happening where they're cringing when they even hear some of these terms that the online marketers use uh, as far as tips. And and I know there's value and some lessons to be learned. But to your point, I mean, what you did with that show, and we'll talk about in a second, is what's more important is the fact that this was um, something that you wanted to create, not because you wanted it to be found through a search algorithm, but because it, w- it was something that you wanted to put together to express your love of what you see happening now in podcasting. Yeah. I mean, look, beware of anybody who both points out your problem and has a solution for sale, you know, and that's what a lot of these folks are is they're, they're the guys who tell you you need carpeting and then show up the next day and say, why don't you own a vacuum? You know, it's like, you're not, you're not helping me at all here. There's a bit of uh, Saul Goodman in there. Yeah. And you know what? I just, I don't, honestly, I don't give a shit. The reason why, um, for example, that podcast was made is exactly what you said. It's like, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of ROI. Yeah. There's some, there's some business return because we did it. But at the same time, it's like, I just love podcasting. I talk to awesome podcasters and I think it's important that the stories that they're telling, um, get arranged and told. So it was just, it was a, it was a passion project all the way through. And the folks that are telling me everything that I did wrong with it, um, thanks, you know, <laughs> I guess, thanks, but no, thanks. Right. We're good here. So let's talk about the origins of the podcast producers. I thought it was fascinating. I, I love, it's one of these Netflix models where we've introduced now the, the term binge listening as well as binge watching <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into, yeah. the, into the lexicon. Yeah, that's, uh, that was actually really part of the strategy when we put it together, you know, Jessica Rhodes, um, her and I became fast friends. Uh, and we do a lot of business together because we have um, different uh, service lines that both work well within the industry. Um, and I think that she's very much a pioneer in her space. And, uh, you know, so it was a lot of fun to work with her just because she's just an awesome personality. And um, she has a lot of, of fire in her belly that I think the podcast community needs. Um, but she's also, you know, a great businesswoman. So I think she brought a lot of those elements to the show that I needed. But really, it came down to, I don't know, I felt like there was just so much kind of cruft and crap going on in the business um, that I didn't understand. You know, I, I was speaking even to, to Darren and Jan, or Darren and Jan, Darren and Jan, isn't that great? I was talking to Jared and Dan. That's, uh, at, so that's Jared Easley and Dan Franks, founders uh, of Podcast Movement. Podcast Movement, yeah. And, uh, you know, we were there last year. And um, there was just so much misinformation and made up stuff and marketers all intermingled with great information, high value content and amazing pioneers in the space. And for the people who are coming into podcasting, I felt like, how in the world could these guys possibly sift through this? Um, and I thought there's got to be a way to present this material to folks in almost a contrarian fashion. It's like, can't we A-B test the information? Can't we stack it against each other and literally put 
people's tips and thoughts and advice in a way that lays it out that says, hey, we all have to acknowledge that everyone has a different approach because everyone has a different end game. Um, so that was kind of it. It's like maybe there's a way that we can create a story here that tells the story of podcasting, obviously from our slant, right? The way that we choose to tell it. There's no question about that, that it's very edited um, to tell our story, but in a way that I think conveys the information such that the people who are on the show are the ones who are actually propelling the information forward. And the listener has the chance to, you know, kind of formulate their own opinions, their own answers, and, and hopefully come out of it with what any good program will do. And that's leave you with even more questions and more desire to learn. So that, that was kind of the approach. So for the listener in just the, the 30 second version, describe what the podcast producers is. It's a 10-part series where we covered 10 podcast topics that we were considering relevant to the industry. We interviewed, I think, about 30 different people and uh, on each of those topics, and then we intermingled the conversations, the narrations, and their opinions on these topics in a way that kind of created a story arc. And we released it more like we would an album or a book, saying that here's the 10 chapters of this first edition of the book. Read it at your leisure, but you can have it all at once. So what's been, uh, obviously when it first came out, there was a lot of buzz about it and a lot of people were giving you some positive feedback. Has this uh, continued to reverberate for you? Yeah, big time. Um, it's like we're really playing the long tail here. This just has an evergreen effect. Um, so we're still today getting a lot of people emailing, listening. The, the downloads have been super, super steady, you know, which means that there is an evergreen content there that, that I think has value long term. Um, and what's happening is, for example, now, you know, Jessica and I are going to different conferences and meetups and talking to different people. And people are coming up and going, oh, my God, I love the podcast producers. You wasted two days of my life because I couldn't stop listening to it. Um, and one of the best ones we got recently was um, Natalie Ekdahl, who does Biz Chicks. We, we talked to her recently, and uh, the feedback we got with her, with her was so positive because she said, for those people who can't go to a conference, this is a great substitute. This is a great way to consume that amount of information that you might get by having conversations with some of these podcasters. So that type of feedback's been super positive. But man, I got the best one the other day. I'm working with a new client in Vancouver. And uh, we started talking a little bit. And he said, you know what's funny? You sound like the guy from the podcast producers. And I'm like, really? <laughs> no, awesome. Cool. Oh, uh, that's funny. So let's, let's uh, geek out a bit. So what was the biggest challenge for you when you th thought about what it would take to, to pull this endeavor together? Um, you know, it wasn't really a technical challenge for me to edit it because that's kind of my wheelhouse. And I had done a pilot for NPR about two years prior. Um, we did a, I did a really great music program. It was called Contrabandas. And the idea is that we did um, bands, uh, independent music from Central America, and uh, we, we really assembled it in that kind of narrative fashion because, you know, NPR wanted me to do it that way. And having done it, I thought maybe this is a great way to tell that story in terms of podcasting. So the technical aspect was pretty easy. The hard part, I think, was saying we're going to put a hard launch date on this thing and we're going to make this happen by this amount of time no matter what. Like I certainly could do a lot better job of the editing. There's a lot more I would have loved to have done but there was just no way it was going to get released by that date. So I think that was the biggest challenge was, you know, Jessica's obviously a pro at getting guests booked. Um, it's very easy to jump on somebody with Skype for 30 minutes and record it. 
uh, you know, making a website on Squarespace and starting a Libsyn account and stuff. This is for us, you know, second nature because this is what we do all day. Um, but so really the technical challenge was saying, I've got to carve out X amount of hours every night after my job to, to sit in a dark room with headphones and, and make this into something that actually makes sense to people. And that was the hardest part because you end up with a ton of unedited material that you now have to form into something that actually tells us a, a proper story. And that's a skill, right? Like that's just a unique skill set, the, the editor. And a lot of times that role goes unsung, right? Because the, the, the work involved to take, let's say, 10 hours, and if you have to take 10 and whittle them down to one, you see this a lot in film sometimes. I, I think I just recently read a stat, or my wife might have told me a stat, that the top films that were nominated or won an Oscar also had, also won for that same year for best editor. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and, and the same thing too with music and film score. Like a lot of people don't stop and go, wait a minute, the, the music that Anthony Weiss pr- you know, provided us for this particular uh, series had a lot to do with the overall sonic quality, the mood that was created. Um, you know, we started a lot before we started narrations with music to kind of get the feel of where, where are we going with this? That's why it became this, I'm talking really closely into the microphone. You know, I'm doing the bedroom voice during this show. It wouldn't have been that way if the music had been like this pop rock stuff that we had to kind of kludge into it. So there's so many different facets of it that I think don't get considered um, included in it. Absolutely. Is the editing because look, I could have taken every episode and reorganized and taken other clips and told a completely different story. So it's, there's a lot that kind of goes into it, but at the same time, there's a lot of decisions that have to very quickly be made because, Hey, this thing's going out on April 6th. I don't have time to dick around for six weeks and tell five different stories. I got to get a story out the door. So what are the plans for season two? It's happening. No question. Um, we, we called it season one almost as a joke, right? Cause we're like, man, I don't know. Like nobody's going to care. And is there really a season two to even be done? Um, but the, the feedback that we got, uh, after people had finished episode 10 was that, holy shit, what now, what am I supposed to do? Like where's season two? When's it coming out? And we said, and we knew we like, we, we will let the demand dictate whether or not we do it. Um, because we made no promise. Uh, the reality is, though, is that I've got, you know, a full-time business and I've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, and Jessica is, you know, producing a human in her body right now. So <laughs> she has to expel that and then probably raise it to some degree. So when she gets through that process, we can probably sit down and go ahead and do it again. But the good thing is, Harry, we know exactly what it takes to do it. We know what we would do differently and better for season two. And we know that we can produce this thing in eight weeks. So it, it'll just be saying, when can we carve out the eight weeks and crunch and get this thing done? So we're, we're planning to at least start pre-production uh, in, at the end of this year and probably going to be releasing something, you know, maybe January, February of, of 2016. In the meantime, though, we got a cool plan. I'm sure you have folks uh, knocking on your door now for, to appear on season two. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because a lot of them were the ones that uh, didn't want to be on season one. (laughs) So you were saying you had folks, interesting, clamoring to to get on the second season two who had wanted no part of season one. I wouldn't use the word clamoring, but I think there was a little bit of regret. Uh, There were some folks that we talked to at NMX that were just, you know, they gave us a pretty quick, cold, but professional response saying, no, thank you. Uh, 
and then they they came up to us and they said, "Oh man, I <laughs> just listened to that thing in the in, on the plane on the way here." And <laughs> shit, <laughs> you know, we should have done something together. But more, I mean, you know, you can imagine where we're getting is the kind of that inundation of emails from the marketing guys who were going, I just listened to your podcast and you should have me on season two and here's 7,000 reasons why. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, you know, you understand if I bring you on the show, it's to show that you're a douche, right? Like I'm going to put you on there to just basically give you the platform to sound horrible. That's what's going to happen here, you know? You could have a whole series just for that, right? You invite all the the worst podcast online marketers in yeah. one season. It's tough because as it's almost like uh, that would be uh, sorry to cut you off. That would be like the Donald Trump, uh, the, the, uh, apprentice, the apprentice, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> podcasting version. Right. It's it's all of the people who are auditioning for American Idol. You know, <laughs> it'd be like the outtakes of of all these terrible guests. But it's hard, man, because look, there there were a couple of guests that we had on the show that Jessica and I had to confer on editing because I said, you know, this is a really long winded. Um, self-bloviating sales pitch. And this guy's kind of full of shit. And and I have to cut some of this out, right? Or should I put it in? Because the question becomes, do I want to alienate myself in the industry as the guy that said, you know, or just at least put this out there and said, this is what this person's saying um, and narrate it as honestly as I can. Or do I want to just cut it out and, and avoid the possible confrontation or issue in the first place? So, you know, I don't, profess to be a journalist anyway. So it's like, well, I'm just going to make it pretty and sound good. And then, you know, the dicks will will be the dicks and the awesome people will be the awesome people. It's interesting because I've had that issue before where I've sort of tweaked an interview because I I think at the end of the day, I felt some responsibility to make sure that I always make my guests sound good. And Mm -hmm. they say something that's controversial or that I feel will be interpreted wrong and could turn off the listener from the entire rest of the interview then i'm saying you know what it's not worth it and they don't need that drama i don't need that drama and just let's let's make them sound good and and not presenting a false picture but still just kind of shying away from things like that i think what it helped though is that a lot of our guests didn't realize that we were halfway through the interview until we were halfway through the interview right it wasn't a lot of preamble it was called them I said, I'm going to start recording. And then we would just talk about a lot of things. And then I'd have the bullets in front of me and we'd have these conversations and just did the same thing so that it made it as natural as possible because I didn't want people to come on and really being used, use it as a soapbox to talk about everything they know and everything they do. The, the spirit of it was to find a way. I don't know what's going on outside. <laughs> it sounds like, sounds like my, my studio is being disassembled around me, but the idea, Harry, was, man, we just, we want to get the personalities to shine through. And, and that was kind of the key is like the, when we go on each other's podcasts, this is what we tend to do. We just have the boilerplate answers. We talk about the same stuff. I mean, that's why I love your show is because it's kind of the Charlie Rose of podcasting. It's, it's, you know, I feel like I'm between two ferns or something with, with you. And, and I wanted that kind of element to bleed into the podcast producers. I wanted people to feel like they could relate to the podcasters. Yeah. I think it's as soon, the sooner you can let them know that you're recording sort of like all, all bets are off at that point. Like you say it right away and then you start talking and you almost don't give them an opportunity to sort of get into their sales pitchy mode. Yeah, and it's funny because as a listener too, we notice when they're just speaking naturally and they're having a good conversation, it's very engaging, it's interesting, and you're learning the most. When they go into their spiel, 
uh, it's obvious and you start tuning out. And there, there was at least two guests I can think of off the top of my head during the podcast producers that were a 40-minute spiel. And it's like, you know what? I could just go to your website and download the audio from your video tutorials and just put that in there because that's basically what you're telling me here. It's just of no value to me whatsoever. But again, I'm biased. <laughs> it's your show, man. You can do whatever It is my want. show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've said that many times. Look, it's my show. I do whatever the fuck I want, man. That's right. And yeah. then I have zero listeners in six months. I'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just more fun when you can do something that you feel proud of and that you don't feel like where you're, you know, uh, I don't know, propping people up and um, providing a plan, you know, being the, uh, what is the, what is the, what is the, the, the network that sells the jewelry? <laughs> <laughs> the, the H, HQC, I don't know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. Yeah, I see. I know what you mean. But you know what? Hey, there's value in that too. I, I get the people that do that. I produce shows for people that do that and, and I understand it. And their listeners love it and, and that's all fantastic for them. Uh, it's just not what I'm all about. That's all. QVC. Yeah, QVC. That's right. That's right. <laughs> when you became aware of podcasting? Was it slow and gradual or is there's just a couple of moments and you're like, wait, what, what's going on over here? Because obviously you have a different ear for this sort of thing. It's not like you were not in broadcasting and someone mentioned podcast and you're like, what? This is something related to what you're, the industry that you were in already. Yeah, no, it was immediate um, because I, I'm, I'm a geek, right? I really like my tech. And uh, I used to listen to Leo Laporte a lot on the, on, on the radio um, by streaming, right? Or he was on, for example, Tech TV. And when they started doing Twit, and it was kind of all the Tech TV guys sitting around on microphones doing podcasting, um, I'm like, what? So I got really excited about it. And then obviously when iTunes integrated podcasting into it and I could subscribe very easily, uh, I was like so, totally hooked. And the first thing I thought is like, well, where's my podcast? What the heck? Uh, so I set up some mics in a basement and I said, why don't we play uh, independent music and talk about it and just kind of hang out and just put it on the internet. And when we were doing that, that was maybe about 2007, early 2008. And there were only maybe a couple hundred podcasts in the iTunes store. So we just blew up like crazy fast. Uh, we were using this really weird service in, in Colorado for the RSS feed and stuff. I still got the guy's email. He's still in business. He's an awesome dude. Um, but he wrote back and he's like, dude, you have 10,000 listeners per show <laughs> and we're just sitting around drinking and playing indie music and shooting the shit. Um, but we had crazy loyal listeners, uh, very, very quickly. And I thought, you know, this is kind of a thing. Um, but we knew as well that there's a ceiling to it because at that time, the estimate was there might only be a total of 40 to 60,000 podcast listeners on earth. Right. <laughs> and they all, they're just geeks anyway, who just know what podcasting is, but it was super early on and I didn't stop, you know, there, there were little hiatuses that we would take in the show, but, um, I'd, I'd been podcasting since then because I just, I got super hooked. And then, so now you have a, a podcast production company, Podfly. Yep. Full disclosure. I'm of which I am a happy customer. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when did you realize, um, there was a business model associated with it? Well, I, I, about three years ago, um, I was a program director for a company called the Overseas Radio Network, and we were doing live radio, uh, calling radio at that time. And we had 25 different shows that were broadcasting you know, 24-7. And um, I helped that station transition into podcasting because at that time, all they had was live call-in radio shows 
And then you could download the archives. And I'm like, you guys, you need to make these podcasts, right? You get that. So we transitioned the company into podcasting and eventually it became, you know, the writing was on the wall. It's like the live listenership is low. The podcast downloads are high. Uh, why don't we just take a look at flipping this model and making it a podcast network, which is what we did. And as we were doing this, the hosts were paying the network to have the, the spot, right? They would pay for the production. The, we would set them up with the equipment. We would help them with all the coaching they needed to get them on that radio network. And then eventually, uh, we were starting to get more and more requests from people who had show ideas that were not appropriate to the format, um, and at that time, the, the co-founder of that radio network and myself, we said, well, why are we saying no to these people? Why don't we just help them get their podcast off the ground? That was maybe about two years ago. So very organically, the company just started. Um, we went ahead and just got a domain. Um, Podflight.com was too expensive. So we're like, you know, screw it. Let's make it .net. And uh, we just started a business. You know, we went and got it um, registered and uh, we got the trademark and we just went one by one by one, you know, new client, new client, new client, uh, until eventually it became like, this is a very viable business model. And, uh, the next thing you know, I don't know, a year and a half later, we're a staff of 10 people. Five of us are full time. Like this is our job. Uh, and it's phenomenal. And we're getting a contact, you know, usually a day, every day, a new lead. And now more and more we're seeing that, holy crap, all the guys who have super established podcasts are hiring us to do their production because our workflow is super easy and super good and our price is right. So that's kind of where it all started is very organically people kicking down our door saying, can you help us do this thing? And it's like, can you give us money? And they're like, yes. And then we're like, yes. And then, you know, just multiply that out and it becomes a business. That's interesting. What, what I think is also fascinating is that puts you in, in an interesting position where you get to hear a lot of podcasts and it's sort of these, the same uh, position that, someone like Libsyn is in as a host of, I forgot whatever percentage it was of, of current podcasts right now. It's a big number. Um, so what have you seen or for folks that are just starting podcasting or, or, or struggling to grow their show? I'm sure you see some things that we, we could probably call best practices, things to do, not do, or, or maybe even trends. Uh, so I know that's multi-part, mm -hmm. but just from, your, from where you're sitting and the, the unique position you have because of the, the service that you have. Yeah. I think, well, I think a lot of people come to us because we can provide some folks with them some of those tips and best practices as we, as we call them, you know. And again, everything's so wild, wild west that the best practices is, that's a loose term. But I can definitely convey to my other clients what is working well for the successful ones, you know, and share that information. And I think that there's a lot of value in there. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it still comes down to um, two basic and fundamental things. Just because you have a podcast doesn't mean people will listen to it. And it's no different that as if you just write a book, people aren't going to go to the store and buy it. They have to be aware of it. And the second part is, is that you might be able to do a good marketing push at first to get that into people's ears. But if you suck, like if you're not a compelling host and you're inconsistent and it's not fun to listen to, people will leave. That's all there is to it. So, you know, you got your circle of friends, right? You got your 150 people that might download your show because they know what a podcast is, but even your friends ain't going to stick around if you're not good at this thing. So the one thing that can't be faked is talent. You just can't fake that. And that's, that's really hard. It's got nothing to do with your voice. You can have a squeaky voice, you know, it's got nothing to do with A-list guests. It's got nothing to do with SEO. 
it's got everything to do with high quality because look, man, here's the deal. Like I just started dating this girl who's really into podcasts and every other day she sends me a text or a WhatsApp message with this awesome podcast that she's listening to that she thinks I would like. And that's how those shows get popular. And that's what I do with her. It's like, dude, you should check out this show. This is really awesome. And if those shows are awesome, they will grow their audience, plain and simple. It's no different than a good indie record. If you find a really good band, you know, you love to tell people, it's like, dude, you got to hear this band. This is really good. I don't care who their marketing department is. This is, this is the best way to grow your show. Yeah, I mean, talk about loyal fans being the ones who are become your, your primary ambassadors. I mean, there's, there's nothing you can do to replicate that. No, I mean, like the podcast producers is a prime example. I mean, Jessica has a marketing background. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that there's only so much we can do. We can go on our Facebooks and our Twitters and Google Plus and put all the right hashtags and all the Pinterest stuff and everything. And yeah, yeah, there's value there because you might pick up one or two people. But ultimately, it's when someone is your agent and someone represents you positively, that's when you have the credibility because everyone can go on their own Facebook page and say, listen to me. Uh, it's different when someone goes on a Facebook page and says, listen to him or listen to her. That's, that's the difference. Yeah, that is a huge difference. And it's so neat when it happens sort of without you doing anything besides obviously producing the good content that's generating that, that love from your fans, but it sort of happens behind your back. And when you, when these things pop up every now and then, like I recently had a new listener come on and say, love the show. And, and he just started, I started seeing tweets Oh, episode, you know, seven, episode nine. And I quickly realized he was starting, he was going through the whole catalog mm -hmm. <laughs> and basically binge listening my, my past catalog of episodes. And I was like, wow, that's, it's awesome. And it's really, really humbling when stuff like that happens. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I mean, that's kind of the idea though, too, is that when we're creating this content, we're hoping that it does relate to people and people respond to it in a positive way. Uh, and that's really what it always, always boils down to is that marketers will tell you differently, but I only heard about, for example, Radiolab from somebody who said, oh, you like podcasts and you don't listen to Radiolab? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, all right, I don't know, what's that? So I checked it out and I loved it. And the first thing I did is I thought of, oh man, here's five of my friends that would totally freaking love this show. And I just messaged them. It's like, holy shit, have you heard this Radiolab thing, dude? And they're like, that's what it is. Come on, that's so, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, so two years ago. Yeah, they're like, were you, were you, have you been in jail? What's wrong with you, man? Have you heard uh, Song Exploder? No. Oh, it's, it's total nerd out. And it, since you're a musician too, they basically take a song and they break out, you know, as the name hints, like uh, the pieces of a song and they get the producer on and they explains like, okay, when I was creating the drums, this is what was happening. Oh, they shit. They layer in the, the bass and then they just kind of like put the pieces together and they show you like, and they take popular songs and you're just like, oh man, that's so cool. Damn. Okay. Yeah. And they just recently been uh, brought into the uh, PRX family, so uh, Roman Mars's podcast family. I think they just recently roped those guys in, so they'll probably be getting more publicity. But yeah, check it out, Song Exploder. Here's the tough thing, though, is that you know time is finite, and I spend a lot of time professionally every day as my full time job working in podcasting. And sometimes the last thing I want to do is listen to a fucking podcast you know i just want to go for a walk i want to read a book i want to have sex and i want to have a good meal 
And I get all of these people going, have you listened to this? Have you listened to this? Have you listened to this? And it's like, I don't have an extra 10 hours a day, right? To listen to these shows. I just don't. The bar is being raised and it's definitely forcing us to, to get rid of the things that we thought we'd be interested in, but just there's something better and something more well-produced and something more interesting that's going to grab our attention. Well, here's the thing. And I'd, I'd like to speak on that if I got a second. It's that, you know, I've always been an advocate for understanding time and attention of a listener when you're deciding which podcasts you're going to release or put out there or who you're going to compete against. And I always draw the analogy, you know, I had a, I had a great girlfriend who was really into yoga and uh, she listened to one or two yoga podcasts because that's all the time and attention that she would be able to devote to it. Um, the only reason that she would ever seek out more yoga podcasts is because the one that she's already listening to starts to suck. And then she's like, well, this starts, I don't, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to go see if I can find a better one. And that's kind of the thing is that you're not really competing against other podcasts. You're competing for the time and the attention of the individual listener who has, in most cases, four or five shows, half of which they only have time to listen to. You know, you got to get into their ear some way and show them that your show's better for them. And that's nearly impossible. It's nearly impossible to do. So... That's kind of the thing is that you've got to have that agency out in the field of people who are speaking well about what you're doing. Uh, otherwise, you just, you're never going to get the time and the attention of a listener. Yeah, I agree. So we'll, we'll wrap this up. I think uh, this has been a fascinating discussion, and as I knew it, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what has got you excited about podcasting in the, in the, coming, in the coming year? Uh, I'm looking forward to going to PM this year. Podcast movement's going to be a trip because um, it's so much bigger than it was. Uh, and I like what, uh, what do they call them? Jan and Darred. I like what they're doing. <laughs> Jan and Darred. What, what, what is it like when you, cre- when you have the, uh, the, the, the power couple and they, sh- and they share the first initial? Uh, like- oh, like Benifer? Ben- <laughs> <laughs> Should we call them like Darred? Darred or, or... I like Jan. Jan? Oh. Yeah. Or Jan Red. Jan Red. Okay. Yeah. All right. I hope they don't listen to this show, man. I'm, I'm going to lose my speaking slot. <laughs> you know, they'll uh, they'll flag you at the at the entrance. Yeah. I, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to that. And I don't know, man. I, like, I'm just. I'm really enjoying working with some pretty high profile clients right now. And uh, I just. I love no matter high up the ladder you get in production, everyone's still the same. You know, we're all kind of pink inside, and we're all funny, and we're all interesting. And uh, we all have the kind of the same hopes and fears and dreams with our shows. So I'm just, I'm looking forward to the community continuing to be an open and honest dialogue. And uh, I think there's high value in there. And one of the things that I was thinking about the other day is how important it is that the tree has been well shaken now. And I think a lot of the rotten fruit has definitely fallen out. So we're going to see, for example, of this podcast movement, the people who are there are really, truly good at what they do. And the people who are speaking are definitely people that you want to listen to. Um, it's not to say that the last one wasn't, but you know, there's, there's some shifty characters in every industry. And the good thing about the podcast industry is uh, it vets itself very, very well and very quickly. So you know, the posers, they're not going to last. And I love how those guys are disappearing fast. Yeah, I definitely agree. So uh, last question, what would you say is the, the one most misunderstood thing about you? About me? <laughs> uh, I don't think a lot of people know how funny I actually am. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I think a lot of people tell me I'm super intense and uh, I take things too seriously and I can be intimidating at times. 
Um, but I don't think people realize that I'm usually being sarcastic. I have a big sense of humor and I don't take myself very seriously at all. Yeah, I, I can, I can, uh, I can vouch for that as well. Okay. <laughs> that I'm funny or that I'm intimidating. <laughs> no, that you're funny. All right. Yeah. I think it's, you have to have thick skin and I have a couple of friends like that. Like it's, there, there's a certain type of, uh, person that you jive with when you realize like they're not getting offended by every single thing that you're saying and you're like, yeah. oh, okay, we can hang. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so where can folks, uh, track you down, uh, and if they want more information on, on your comings and goings, you know, I'm, I'm super Googleable. If you just Google Corey Coates, you'll find me. There's all my Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. And I think I have 160 followers now. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, you know, podfly.net's a good place to always go to. And you can find out what we're up to. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, so thanks again, Corey, for coming on. Had a, a blast talking to you. And I'm looking forward to catching up in person at, uh, in, le- in about a month now, Podcast Movement. Yeah, man. All right, take care. So thanks to Corey for coming on the show. It's always fun when you get to talk to your friends in a relaxed environment and just sit back and shoot the shit. <laughs> so he's, he's a good sport, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him at Podcast Movement. If you are a podcaster, you should be there. It's in Dallas, Fort Worth, and it's podcastmovement.com. I think they just opened up another batch of hotel rooms as well, so get on over there and check that out. So all the show notes will be at podcastjunkies.com slash 44. And as always, rating and reviewing the show is an awesome thing for you to do. It supports the show. It supports me. And it tells iTunes that uh, we're doing something pretty cool here. And they dig that. And then they give us some, some love. And they let our show be found a bit more easier. So if you want to contribute to the cause... It's an easy, free way to do it. Go to podcastjunkies.com slash iTunes. Uh, You can leave one on Stitcher, too, if you're on Stitcher. And always open to feedback. So I know I ask for it every show. I'm always looking for it. We have a Facebook page you can check out. Uh, Just go podcastjunkies.com slash Facebook. And uh, the last thing is, if you want to sign up for our mailing list, the easiest way to do that is just send a text message to 233444 with the word podcastjunkies, all one word. I think that's enough for today. Thanks again for listening. And I'm happy to be bringing this to you uh, week after week. Stay tuned uh, for next week's episode coming out next Monday. Take care, guys, and have a fantastic week. (laughs) 